Hey, welcome back. It is Mark Tui in for Rush Meaner this afternoon. Pleasure to drive home with you. It was a pleasure talking, even if we ran just a little bit long with uh, the mayor of Toronto, talking about uh, the what is, quite frankly, like momentous news in terms of the, uh, the financial deal that she has struck with Premier Doug Ford to do so many things. I mean, they agreed today, they announced for the provincial government to take possession of uh, the Don Valley Parkway, the uh, Gardner Expressway, that's going to be worth seven plus billion dollars, uh, you know, over a period of time. Plus, uh, the mayor was saying basically $207 million a year in terms of operating costs. That might take some time to get around to the actual transfer of the pink slip. But uh, in the meantime, the province has uh, said that they will pay the $207 million operating capital annual cost. Uh, the government's also going to provide $600 million for shelters and homelessness if the feds come to the table, uh, $750 million for new subway trains if the feds come to the table. Those kind of tripartite agreements where, you know, it's a third, a third, a third over the government's is pretty standard. But what isn't standard is the provincial government agreeing to cough $330 million a year for three years to operate the Eglinton Crosstown when and if it ever starts and the Finch West LRTs uh, plus $300 million in subways for transit and safety. All of this massive news. Uh, let's put it to our smart speakers. Robert Benzie is the Toronto Star Queens Park Bureau Chief. Laura Badcock is with Power Group Communications and host of The O Show. And do we have our third panelist or no? Just the two. Okay, that's more than enough. Robert Benzie, let's start with you. To me, this is this seems like the city got maybe not everything it wants, but it's a pretty one-sided uh, big win for the city, I think. Well, it's, I mean, Mark, you were a chief of staff to a mayor of Toronto. You know what a, an albatross, the gardener and the DVP are to the city coffers. Uh, as Mayor Chow was just telling you, it's it's a lot of money every year. It's like $350 million, something like that, just to keep these things going. And they're not even used by Toronto taxpayers. They're used by a lot of people from outside the city, from the 905 and so on. So that's a huge deal for uh, Mayor Chow. But uh, Premier Ford got a win too, because he's getting the city's tacit kind of approval uh, of Ontario, his Ontario Place redevelopment. I mean, Olivia Chow was always going to be constructive about this, even though she said today, look, I still think it should be a park. But at the end of the day, it's Ontario Place. It's not, you know, it's not Toronto Place. And I think that's a huge win for Ford. Um, the Ontario Terra Place redevelopment is, of course, controversial, but uh, he's he's making a major concession by taking two highways that just in March he was saying uh, that, that, that he would never upload. So, you know, they both put water in their wine and came to an agreement. Laura Babcock, it still seems to me like the water was uh, mostly put in the premier's uh, wine. Uh, but Robert raises a good point. You know, the even though the city couldn't really do anything about Ontario Place, it's fully within the provincial purview, uh, this at least buys some peace in the valley so that perhaps their provincial government isn't going to be under this perpetual onslaught by the city officially and unofficially. But, you know, what's the politics of that compared to the politics on Olivia Chow's side? Because she has a lot of ardent supporters that will be very upset with that. 
Oh, they are very upset. <laughs> you should see my social media today. Listen, the Ontario Place deal is obviously very, very, very important to Ford for him to give up so much just to be able to retain a little bit more control of it. Because if the city backs out of it, the fight still persists. There's still the Ontario Place group that has tried to file a court injunction on the project. There's an AG investigation going into it. I mean, so Ford's not out of the water. If we're going to keep going with the water wine analogies here, he's not out of the water on Ontario Place yet. But yeah, Yes, he has he has made it a little bit easier on himself and Olivia is taking a reputation hit on that because she did campaign on it and this is a premier who campaigned on not touching the green belt and broke that promise and Olivia's campaigned on Ontario Place and broke that promise so I think what we're seeing here from a political point of view it's interesting to me is Ford's obviously in some way overexposed on Ontario Place and needs to get it done which is fascinating but also Olivia has proven herself to be a pragmatist right and so I, I heard a hue and a cry from so many people that she was going to be this socialist mayor who was going to be idealistic and unrealistic and all those other istics that we hear attributed to socialists. And here she is making a deal that gets us nasty 905ers <laughs> using that highway like it's a provincial road and not a Toronto road that you have to pay for. And so I think that she has a major score here for Toronto uh, getting those, those sort of legacy albatrosses off of the city's neck and being able to fund her other projects. And in terms of all of the uh, cash that he's giving to those the Crosstown and stuff, I mean, Ford's always been about subways, 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 and about uh, transportation. It's important to him. So I'm not too surprised that he's helping to move those things along. Uh, but yeah, I think the real story out of this is that Olivia Chow is a pragmatic mayor, and she'll do what it takes to get it done, and she'll work with whoever she has to work with uh, to make it better for the families of Toronto. And I think that's a win for her, ultimately. I think pragmatism is always a win for the citizens because I, I you know if when the NDP and the Conservative Party of Canada and you know God bless them the Liberals when they stick to pragmatic issues they have a lot to agree with uh, Robert Benzie you've got your ear to the ground at Queen's Park the mayor was suggesting that there's still more money that the city would like from the uh, province in terms of the uh, development charges 200 uh, plus million dollars they're expecting from the province are they likely to get that do you think or is the province going to take hey no we just gave you $7 billion, go away. No, I mean, the province has been talking, uh, Mark, about uh, municipalities because they're, they want them to build more, they want more rental housing built, right? And to make it more uh, uh, acceptable, palatable, profitable for developers to build rental housing they, they, and affordable housing, they've removed these. The review, the, they've refu- removed, sorry, the uh, development charges from from, and that's a big hit. It's billions of dollars to, to Ontario municipalities. But uh, the province has maintained that they're going to make them whole, so I presume that they will. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, Laura's talking about how, how uh, Olivia Chow is not uh, uh, ideological. I don't think that Doug Ford is either, and you know him better than I do, Mark, and I think that he's he's a very much of a pragmatist in his own way, and I think he sees that if you can get something done, get something accomplished – it's good for him politically, and it, it's good for Olivia Chow politically. I think if they can get Justin Trudeau to the table, it'd be good for Prime Minister Trudeau uh, politically. But all three of these leaders have the same voter, and the voter is the people of Toronto. Uh, Ford has 12 of the 25 seats here in in the city. Uh, f- people sometimes forget there are a lot of Tory MPPs in Toronto, more than there are Liberal or NDP MPPs. 
Uh, Laura Babcock, uh, let's start with you on this one. We've got very little time. We might bring it back up behind the gate. Well, let's let's do something different. Let's talk about the Merriam-Webster word of the year is authentic. Mm-hmm. You're a communicator. I say people should be fully familiar with that word already and stop changing its meaning. I think this comes from the rise of AI in the very same year that we've seen deep fake videos and everything else proliferate our social media and the takeover of Twitter to, you know, the hellscape that it has become as X. People are searching what is authentic and that's why it's the word of the year because we are not sure anymore. And uh, Robert Benzie, you write words for a living. Are there any words on this list that you're surprised, uh, you know, took such a high profile that people didn't like kibbutz? Doesn't everybody know what a kibbutz is? Oh, hey, exactly. I'm actually surprised that authentic was the word of the of the year, Mark, because I kind of thought think of that as kind of a a hackneyed thing that they use in politics. Like anytime a politician, they're saying, oh, this guy's got great authenticity or she has great authenticity usually means they're very phony because I think <laughs> that if you have to say authenticity or you say something's authentic, probably you have a problem with authenticity, generally speaking. I will say I hadn't ever, well, I think earlier this year I heard the term riz for the first time and uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean what I thought it means, which is a good thing. So let's leave said <laughs> said what it is that I thought it meant. Uh, When we come back to our smart speakers panel, we'll take up the uh, ceasefire extended in Israel and Gaza. And what does that mean for protesters on the streets right here at home? Plus, yet there's so much more to talk about. Uh, Turns out the four-day work week Maybe not everything we thought it was going to be. And uh, who's responsible for lousy housing up in northern Canada for Canada's NU people? All that to come on Smart Speakers when the rush returns. Hey, welcome back. Smart Tui sitting in for Reshmi. Our Smart Speakers panel today is Laura Babcock of Power Group Communications and host of The O Show, and Robert Benzie, who is Toronto Star's Queen's Park Bureau Chief. Uh, Laura, let's start with you on this one, which I teased and then abandoned before the break. Uh, Meta, Meta, the parent company of uh, Facebook, uh, uh, acknowledged in documents released through a court process that it deliberately engineered its social platforms to hook kids and knew but never disclosed that it had received millions of complaints about underage users on Instagram, but only disabled a fraction of those accounts, according to blah, 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 uh, reported by the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Um, I think that as a parent, my kids are now older, but that would be a concern. But I'd be more concerned with the process required to verify their age, because they'd have to submit some form of identification and proof of who they are. And frankly, I'm more worried about a big tech having that information than what my kids might see, because I can influence what they see and how they they deal with that. What do you say as a mom? Uh, well, there's a lot to unpack what you just said there, Mark. I don't, I don't think that we can ultimately influence what our kids see. They have access to friends who have phones and different restrictions and different opportunities. I think, and I've always maintained, the best thing I can do for my two teenagers is to help them have critical thinking, to challenge sources, to not accept something they've seen as truth just because it's on TikTok or it's by an influencer that they admire. Uh, so those are the conversations we have in our home. But we, we long knew the horse was out of the barn in terms of protecting them from social media world. 
world. The other aspect to what you said, which I think is interesting, is the idea that you're more concerned that these organizations like Meta might have that other data on the kids. I mean, I think they have all our data by now. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be all conspiratorial big brother, but pretty much uh, we have been mined for our data long before we realized what we were doing. And so now it's about how they use it, how we can stop them, how we can protect ourselves. Uh, in terms of Meta, when I read the story on the list, Mark, I thought, wait, haven't I seen this story before? I mean, we, we've seen this over and over again. They are not a company that operates in good faith. How many whistleblowers is it going to take for us to hear over and over that they create algorithms to hook kids so that kids can be, you know, valuable to advertisers on their metadata? I mean, this is just what the business model is for Facebook and Meta, and we should stop being surprised by it, and we should start to teach our, teach our kids social media literacy. Robert Benzi, do you think we should have, you know, children uploading ID, photo ID of some sort from their school, I guess? Uh, where else would they get it uh, to prove that they're old enough to uh, have an Instagram account? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Mark. I, sh I share that concern, although Laura's correct. I mean, it's very hard to shield your children from this. I think going after the companies for their practices is is more successful. And we've seen this before. Um, I mean, I'm, we're all probably old enough to remember Joe Camel. That was R.J. Reynolds' very successful uh, cigarette mascot. Joe Camel was a such a, a beloved cartoon figure that the American Medical Association did a study and found that children could identify Joe Camel as as, as easily as they could, uh, you know, Fred Flintstone and 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 uh, Mickey Mouse and other you know, famous uh, animated characters. And R.J. Reynolds had to finally phase out Joe Camel so that they couldn't use it to advertise cigarettes to children. And I think this is a similar sort of thing. Is Meta wants to get our kids addicted to something? Now it ain't just because of that, right? They're they're going to be addicted because of uh, of uh, of lots of other things, not just because Meta is giving them what they what they want. There are lots of other um, other uh, uh, companies that are doing the same thing, uh, t t Twitter and and Google and and TikTok, whatever. They're all doing the same thing that 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 Facebook is doing. Israel and Hamas have agreed to extend their ceasefire by two more days if uh, Hamas continues to release hostages. A day for every. 10 hostages they release is apparently the formula, uh, Laura Babcock, but at some point they're going to run out of hostages. And so it would seem that the Israelis might return to the uh, offensive in Gaza. Do you think, like, I don't understand the, uh, I, I understand the desire to get all the hostages back, but at some point this conflict is going to be resolved in violence, it seems to me, unless Israel just kind of walks away from it. But I don't see in the long run how that's in their best interest. And so what are we in for here in Canada? Well, violence never resolves a conflict, right? It, it temporarily dominates, but it has to be a diplomatic solution, a two-state solution. And that's, I think, more clear to the world than it ever was before. And I think that you're going to see, if you listen to Biden's comments the other day on this, uh, he's looking to move even more forcefully, it sounds, with the other Arab nations to normalize relations with Israel, to get some infrastructure, to change the dynamic in the region. None of them benefit from this horrible, wretched war. No one wants 
to see the suffering of the people in Gaza. No one wants to see what happened to the Israelis ever happen again. And we all want the hostages out. So I think this truce, temporary truce is good. I think getting those hostages out 10 at a time until all 200 of the remaining ones are done. Is Israel going to continue to rout out Hamas? Absolutely. Um, but it should be done in conjunction with talks about how to s- get an actual lasting peace here. Because just attacking them and then attacks back and Hezbollah getting involved in these proxy wars with Iran, it's never going to make the region safer or prosper for, prosperous for anybody. And I think everyone knows that. Robert Benzi, it would seem to me, and I've spent some time in the region, that Hamas has the only party involved in this that doesn't want a two-state solution. Is there any hope that they'll change their mind or do they have to be basically wiped out as a political effort? I don't think that they'll change their mind. I mean, I mean a lot of people have conflated Hamas with the, the, the broader, especially over here where there's a lot of confusion mm-hmm. about this, unfortunately. I don't think some of the people who are going to the protests have, know as much about the region as you do or I do, having been there. And I think that the, that's the problem. Hamas does not want a two-state solution. It, when it says from the river to the sea, it means de- destroying Israel. And even since this, the, the October 7th terrorist attack, they have said again and again, we would do it, we will do this again and again. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that there's this temporary truce right now and these, and, the, and these hostages are being released. But, you know, Mark, when I was in Israel in 2010, I guess it was, um, Galad Shalit uh, was an Israeli soldier. He was held by Hamas from 2006 to 2011, and his poster was everywhere. And uh, every, everywhere he went in, in, in Israel, you saw a picture of Galad Shalit, and it was because they wanted to remind people that this young soldier was being held hostage. Uh, when they finally released him in 2011, it, it took more than a thousand hostages, uh, host, sorry, a thousand prisoners, Palestinian prisoners, some of whom were murderers, convicted murderers, who were released so that they could get Shalit back. So I don't think, I think Hamas is going to keep some hostages. I don't think they're ever going to release all of the hostages. And I think if any of the captured soldiers are in for a very, very rough time. May I just say, Mark, I don't think that Hamas has any interest in a two-state solution. Their whole raison d'etre is to exterminate Israel, but they can be forced. They can be forced. I don't think they can be eradicated as an idea. You know, we've got a generation coming up who would have gone through all of this, right? Um, but, But I do think it's about... Uh, the will of the area, all the influencers around who want something to change in this situation that is really choking the region for such a long time. So uh, there might be the, those bigger prevailing winds, if you will, that that kind of stifle Hamas and push them down so they're, they're not capable of these things. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if uh, the Arab states in the area, Qatar has played a leading role, if they can step up and put more pressure on the leaders of Hamas who are in Qatar, uh, not sort of <laughs> suffering from any of this stuff that they yeah. ring in down upon their own people. Uh, yeah. It's a complicated story. Robert Benzie, Toronto Star, Queen's Park Bureau Chief, Laura Babcock, Power Group Communications, and the host of The O Show. Thank you very much uh, for your smart you speaker's presence uh, today. We'll take a short break here on The Rush. When we come back in the next hours, we are going to... Are we taking more calls on the uh, Ontario Place uh, Highway Center? We are not, but you can text me at 71010 anytime. We'll revisit the top stories of the day, and then we will check in on the latest on what's going on in the Israel-Hamas war. And uh, Americans feel guilty about wasting food. Do you? I'll take your calls. And if you feel guilty about wasting food, what are you doing about it? That's when the rush returns.